So I asked uh, Amy to lead some of the songs to preserve my voice, and I, I just can't help but sing with her, and it's end up singing like 12 octaves above what I would normally have sung, so now I'm twice as shot if I had just led the worship this morning. Uh, but oh well, I, I guess that will shorten the sermon when my voice just goes out on its own naturally. Uh, this morning we are continuing our series. Pastor Scott's been leading you through a series called Better Together, and we're focusing on various relationships that exist in the kingdom of God. We took some time to explore what it means to be the church and to live in community together as a church body. We took some time to explore a little bit of what it mean, means to be in community groups and small groups as the early church met in houses. They didn't have big sanctuaries like we do today. And so it was very important that those personal relationships were kindled and um, built up. Each person was equipping one another, sharpening one another. Uh, so we dug into that for a week or so. And then last week we touched on Christian friendships and what it means to be a friend, biblically speaking. And those of you that have plugged into a small group, uh, you've been going through some of these discussion questions, and I hope that's allowed you to dive deeper. You've gotten a lot of good feedback, and it's not too late if you want to jump in. We still have three or four weeks left in this series for you to be involved. And so if you get in a group, you will naturally be exploring families this week because that's what the topic of today is. We're looking at the relationship of the family within the kingdom of God. And Pastor Scott uh, gave me the opportunity to speak today because I had revealed to him that during his sabbatical, I plan on doing a series starting about the third week in July, when all of you won't be here, um, but we're about the third week in July, we're going to start on biblical personhood, then the next week go to biblical manhood, the next week go to biblical womanhood, then the next week go into marriage, the next week into parenting, and then finally, maybe something that's not been preached too often is biblical childhood, what it means to be a child. So bring your children that day. I'm preaching to them, not you. Um, but we are going to explore all that. And so Pastor Scott thought, naturally, I'm, I would be fully prepared to just speak on the family. Little does he know, I have, I've got all the resources for that. I haven't opened them yet. Uh, so <laughs> this is the, the prep work for the series to come, Lord willing. And what we'll be looking at today, though, not as much like what is marriage, what is parenting, or anything like that, but what does the physical family, and by physical I mean blood relationships, marital relationships, uh, the nuclear family, what we experience day to day in our houses, how does that family align with the family of God? When we're talking about like small groups and friendships in the kingdom of God, within the community of faith, how do families fit into that discussion? So we're going to explore that, and this today is a little more topical than what I'm used to preaching. Normally I'll lay you out a passage and we'll walk through it together. That's called expository preaching. Uh, that's my favorite type of preaching. Today is more topical. And the negative part of topical preaching is I'm drawing scripture passages from all over the Bible. And so you're like flipping back and forth, flipping back and forth. Uh, we'll have the passages up on the screen behind me. And we also have them, I believe, in the insert that you received. That'll keep you from having to flip too often. I may have you turn to certain passages as we read through them. Uh, but the Bible is crafted in such a way that it's not like a textbook. You know, a textbook, you're going to have chapter one, and it's going to cover everything under that heading. So if God had written a textbook for us, he would have said, chapter one, the family. And then he would have laid everything about family in that chapter. But the Bible wasn't written as a textbook. It was written 
as correction and reproof for certain circumstances and situations that arose in people's lives. So Paul would address the family issues in Corinth when he was writing the book of the Corinthians. They had questions. He had answers. God had answers. And then he would turn to the Ephesians. They'd have a different set of questions. Some of them about family. Some of them about uh, other things in the church. And so he would address each of those. And what you end up with are 66 books of the Bible that all talk about family in one sense or another because family was important to every demographic, to every people group, to every time frame from which the Bible is written. And so we're going to have to pick and choose and draw a lot of scripture passages together this morning. And this is by no means exhaustive. It doesn't even scratch the surface. But I hope it provides some highlights of what the Bible teaches on the topic. So we're going to start out by looking at what the scripture means uh, when it's talking about the spiritual family. Oftentimes the Bible will use familial language to refer to the body of Christ or to the kingdom of God. So scripture will utilize words such as household or family or children or other language to emphasize the family dynamic of God's people. Uh, so the first passage I want to look at, just to represent this cluster of terms, is Galatians 6.10. And in Galatians 6.10, Paul writes, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The household. Okay, this is the same term that would be used if it was talking about the household of Greg. You know, if they had written about my family, they would have used the term household. But in the economy of God, in God's kingdom, uh, a church body that was grouped together would often be called a household. And the church, universally speaking, all the Christians that have been grouped together in relationship to Christ with God as their father are considered the household of faith. Another passage that we can look to to demonstrate this language is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And depending on what translation you're using, it may uh, swap out the word household for family, the family of God. And so we get those, that terminology once again, the household. Uh, we're not strangers, we're not aliens, we're not... Those terms are used for foreigners, people that would be walking through a country uh, to which they did not belong, but rather we are firmly rooted and planted in God's kingdom. We belong there. We live there. That is our natural state, our natural dwelling. That is a, our eternal abode. And so as believers, we are inside of the family of God, the household of God. The last one I'll use to demonstrate the spiritual family is Hebrews 3, 5 through 6, it says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And so here the word just house is used instead of household. Uh, and it's sort of a play on words with the temple because Moses was a servant in God's house, uh, referring mainly to Israel. That was kind of God's place where God's house dwelt. The temple dwelt in the middle of Israel and they were to go there. And uh, of course, Moses was directly related with setting up the tabernacle in the beginning. And that eventually evolved into the temple complex. 
but this is the house that Moses was originally over. But Jesus comes as a better son, Moses being a servant, but Jesus the son, and he is over God's eternal abode, God's eternal kingdom, God's eternal people, the people of faith. And so once more, we have the terminology that connects us into the family of God, uh, spiritually speaking. This is our family. So we need to understand as Christians that we are a part of a family, which is the kingdom of God. The family is the church. And so we view that both as the universal church, but then more specifically, you are a part of the family if you are a member here of College Heights Baptist Church. This is your family. You look around. These are your brothers and your sisters. And that's going to come out even more um, prominently as we look at some other passages of Scripture. But before we do, I want to turn to the flip side of the coin. Because it wouldn't make sense to use the words father and brother and sister and mother and all that as the kingdom of God is discussed if we didn't have a point of reference. And the point of reference is the institution of the family, the physical family. The family that was begun in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 through 25, when God took Adam and I put him to sleep, and he took the rib, and he created Eve. It reads, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we have, in the very beginning, the institution of marriage when man and woman were brought together for the first time. And marriage was an institution that was meant to, to be this solid connection that was... Uh, was to be something unique and special. They were to cleave together as one. And uh, that oneness is going to be very useful as we talk about the relationship between the physical family and the spiritual family. So keep that in mind. But marriage is here for the first time created. And the, the family, the physical family, has its origin right there in the second chapter of Genesis. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 is another passage that deserves our attention as we talk about the physical family. It, this is called the Shema in the Hebrew. Uh, the Shema is the Hebrew word for hear or listen. And uh, this was very important in the Jewish mindset, in the Jewish family. And it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So this is a small snippet from a greater context of passage uh, where God is commanding the Israelites to listen up to the commands they had just been given in the previous chapter. The Ten Commandments were the recipe for success in the promised land. And so God is calling on the men and women of Israel to take those commands, to study them, to process them, to live them out publicly, but then to take every opportunity to pass them down to their children and their children's 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 children. That was what they were supposed to do. And of course, as we look at Israel, it was a total failure. They obviously did not do this very well because 
even if we had a righteous generation, it was usually just one generation removed from total chaos and a total rebellion. And uh, what we see in like the book of Judges is each generation is getting a little bit worse and a little bit farther from God, and their sins become more atrocious, and just the depravity seems to run rampant in the house of Israel. But what we do take away from Deuteronomy is that the nuclear family was an important recipe for advancing godly principles and godly morals. And so in the family, the, the parent-child relationship was central to communicating the will of God. God was utilizing this marriage relationship established in Genesis chapter 2 to pass through the parents to the children the faith and the principles for life. And so the modern concept of I'm not going to teach my kids religion, I'm going to let them figure that out for themselves, that, that's malarkey. Let them figure everything out for themselves then. Let them figure out how to eat and how to clothe themselves, how to brush their teeth, all on their own. They'll do a great job. You know, if you don't trust them with brushing their teeth every night, why are you going to trust them with heaven and hell, things that are actually eternal? No, you have a duty as parents to pass on generation to generation and not just look one generation ahead. Like I, I try to think all the time, how can I pass on my faith to Macy and Isaac and Jackson in such a way that they will know and be intentional about passing it on to their kids and their kids' kids? That's how we've got to think about our families because that's the will of God for the family. Ephesians is a central place. And if you don't have these passages in front of you, I'll go ahead and give you a second to open to Ephesians chapter 5 uh, because it's going to be such a vital part of what we talk about today. And by the way, no, we've not got to the sermon yet. Still prepping. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Today is a two-point sermon. I haven't preached a two-point sermon in forever. It's like it rubs against me to not have that third point, but... Uh, Two is what you get today. Topical sermon and two-point sermon. I'm going to have to repent after today. I think W.E. Vine said that. Preach one topical sermon a year, and then when you're done, go in your closet, bow on your face, and repent before the Lord. <laughs> Scott probably doesn't like that uh, quote very much. <laughs> Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's a quotation from Genesis that we just read. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here we have another very central teaching when we talk about the biblical family. And this is going to become very important in the second point of today's sermon because it talks about the purpose of the family. Why was the family constructed to begin with? What is their aim or goal? What is the objective of the family? Um, but this passage talks about husbands and wives and their roles. And so 
each of them having a specific role. We live in a modern day where that is very countercultural, where no one wants to admit that there is any distinction between men and women. And so as evangelicals, especially uh, within a, a traditional Baptist point of view, we are traditionally complementarians, not egalitarians. Egalitarians saying men and women are exactly the same. There's no difference between the two. Uh, they're completely equal in every way. Uh, we embrace more of a complementarian role. They are equal in value before God. They both have access to God. Uh, they are crucial in God's plan for humanity, and they are crucial within the church, and both have places of service, and both have places of leadership. But we believe that, based on biblical teaching, that men and women have very distinct, specific roles in the church that complement one another. And together, they make a force to be reckoned with. God knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing, and he's putting them together in a very specific way. It's kind of like in a car. You know, my job is to turn the steering wheel left or right, and Katie's job is to pick the right music, and Macy's job is to complain about the music and think that we should have something much more modern, which I completely, 100% blame Hope Kaufman. I will never, ever forgive her for turning my sweet daughter away from classic rock and roll to Justin Bieber. <laughs> hope, I hope you're listening. <laughs> And then finally, uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 follows this passage immediately after. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so we have passages that speak to the father-child relationship, the mother-child relationship. We have passages that speak to the marital relationship. If we dug even deeper, we'd have uh, passages that speak to the grandparent relationship. Uh, but what I'm trying to get at with these highlight passages is that the Bible speaks of two different spheres of family. The spiritual family in the kingdom of God, those who are all believers, are united together under the headship of Christ and the Father uh, in heaven. And they're also constructed in a sphere of the physical family here on the earth in our relationships of marriage and biology. You know, our children, our grandchildren, aunts and uncles, so on and so forth. So now we can ask the question that needs answering this morning is how do these two align? How does one affect the other? What should the relationship be between your family as big or small as it may be, or maybe it's just potential right now. Maybe you're single here this morning, and so this speaks to you. And in fact, there, there is a lot to be said about the biblical uh, singleness as well, which may be something we address in that series uh, when we get to it in July. Um, but for now, we'll focus on just family in general, regardless of whether that's 12 people or one person. The family, how does that relate to the spiritual family? And so the first point that I want to bring out this morning is that the spiritual family is superior to the physical family. The spiritual family is superior to the physical family. I said this is a two-point sermon, but I have little mini points under each point. So really, it's kind of like a 12-point sermon. <laughs> yeah. The spiritual family is eternal, first off. The spiritual family is eternal, and the physical family is not eternal. 
Okay, Jesus made it clear that in heaven one day uh, there won't be marriage or people given in marriage. And so your marriage relationship right now is temporal. At best, you're going to be married for 70 years and then somebody's going to die. And when that happens, at that point, your marriage has been terminated, right? I said, till death do us part. I didn't promise anything after that. And there's a reason for that. Not that I'm not willing, but that's not how the Bible describes marriage. And so when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be looking for my wife and say, where's your wedding ring? No, it, that's not how it's going to be. Because marriage, and I'm jumping to the next point, but I'm not there yet, is really here right now on earth to point to a greater relationship to come. The marriage between the Son of God and His bride, the church. Okay, And so right now, here and now, we have a temporal relationship in the physical family, but in the kingdom of God, in the church, we have an eternal family. Those of you that are saved this morning who can honestly call me your brother, and I could call you my brother or sister, we're going to maintain that status forever. You know, I hope you like this family because it's the long term. You may not be in the relationships you are in the house you live in right now. That won't be long term. Okay, some of your children are going to grow up and they're going to move away like I did. I moved to Alaska. Uh, I don't hardly ever see my parents. But forevermore, those of us that are saved are together in the family of God. So right off the bat, that makes it better because it's eternal and the physical family is temporal. Uh, beyond the fact that death can separate families, there are other things that come into the family mix. Uh, we have divorce, we have uh, estrangement, we have abandonment and neglect, and all sorts of things that disrupt the family unit, uh, where husbands and wives separate and they go and they find new husbands and wives. And so the family unit as an eternal thing really is not a secure and solid deal. Now, obviously, we know what the Bible teaches on that. We know that marriage is meant to be, you know, something that is till death do us part. But it doesn't always pan out that way. And sometimes because of our fault or sometimes to no fault of our own. But that is the truth of the matter is those families may dissolve either through death or other avenues. But the family of God does not. That doesn't mean there's not church splits. That happens because that goes back to our human relationships. But as far as the family that you're in, as far as the relationship of brother and sister in Christ, that's eternal. That cannot be taken away. Jesus holds you secure. And those that have been sealed with the Holy Spirit are sealed till the day of redemption. There's no changing that. So if you don't like the person in this room next to you, that's a big problem. And Paul addresses that. Jesus addresses that. He says, if you want to come and pray to God, you need to first get right with your brother. Because that's your family, your spiritual family, your superior family, your family that's going to endure forever and ever and ever and ever. So get right with them now and then bring your gift to the altar. That's important because the spiritual family is eternal. The next thing I want to point out is the spiritual family has a perfect head of household, whereas physical families are subject to evil, neglect, ignorance, or, or anything else that's negative. Okay, God is our Father. And God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. I try to be a good father, but I know I'm not good all the time. You can ask my kids all the time. I'm not good. That's what I have to admit about myself. And so it's a work in progress. And that's even me trying to reflect the goodness of God in a home. But there are some homes where that's not even attempted. 
And so there are huge gaping holes of care that are not given and love that is not extended to children. There are some children that live in homes that uh, suffer abuse and abandonment and neglect in so many ways that you look at it and they, they have a hard time relating to God as a father because of those issues that took place in the home. And so we look at that and we compare earthly families to the spiritual family and we have to recognize that God is way better than we could ever be. Even on our best day, we don't even scratch the surface of what God is capable of as far as extending love and goodness and kindness to us. And so the spiritual family is superior by uh, that comparison. Look in Exodus 34, 6 through 7 to get a glimpse of the earthly family and their potential failures. By the way, this passage, according to some research I did, is the most used passage in the Hebrew Bible. So in the Old Testament, I guess this gets quoted more than any other passage within its own particular canon. And it says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That quote shows up in various places in the Old Testament because God was communicating the fact that your evil deeds, your faithlessness in life right now has effects beyond just you. Many children have turned from God and have turned from righteousness and have turned to to crime and turned to uh, abuse and drug abuse, any kind of abuse. They've turned to these things that are not good for them because of the way that they were raised. We see that patterns repeat themselves in family and it takes intervention and it takes the grace of God to pull people out of that cycle that continues to happen. And uh, that's just God created the family to be influential on children for better or for worse. That's why our role as parents is so important because it has long-term consequences. You are creating a family tree and your family tree produces a certain type of fruit And so if you, as the head of household, are evil, you may be polluting the waters and creating bad fruit for generations to come. But on the flip side, if you are a godly parent and you raise your children up in the way that they should go, the hope is that they will know right from wrong and they will have every opportunity to choose righteousness over evil. They don't always, um, but it is the general principle that... People who are raised a certain way, you know, the apple won't fall too far from the tree. And so that's a passage that shows up again and again, pointing to the influence that parents have over their children. Uh, on the flip side, if we see in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So we go back to God as the head of household. And every good gift, every good thing you've ever received in your entire life has come from the hand of God. The very breath you're breathing right now has come from the hand of God. The fact that I got the first consistent sleep, though it be only seven hours, uh, the first time in like three weeks, two or three weeks, and I feel just great right now. It's the best I've felt in a long time. I'm just, I woke up, I said, thank you, God. Uh, that is a good gift from God. 
Whatever it is that's good in your life, whether it be the weather or the fact that the salmon are on the way or halibut or if it's uh, the fact that your family is healthy and safe or your house is paid for, whatever it is that's good in your life, you have got to offer up thanks to God for that because it is by His grace that that has been extended to you. Every good thing comes from God. The next thing we look at is the spiritual family has a binding agent superior to that of our physical families. We ask ourselves, what binds the physical family? And for many of us, it's blood. You know, my kids have Crawford blood. My parents have Crawford blood. Uh, Katie does not have Crawford blood, but we have a marriage relationship. So it's through this legal and even spiritual union that has been formed between her and I that brings us into the same family. So that connection, that relationship is the binding agent of a family. But we've already talked about how those sometimes do not endure. Um, and we already know that you know, blood lasts as long as it's flowing through our veins, but there will come a time where that ceases at death. And so that's why those relationships end at that point. You're no longer bound to one another in the same way that you were while you were alive on earth. But the binding agent of the spiritual family is much more strong than blood or an oath at the altar you know, during a wedding ceremony. It is the binding agent of Christ and the Holy Spirit. We see that Christ is the groom of the bride, the church, that Christ is what unites us to God the Father, and it is by His blood and His sacrifice and our union with Him that we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. We see in the Scripture that He gives us the Holy Spirit as a seal or a guarantee. Uh, some translations have said dowry. There, there are so many different words, but what it is is the binding of the believer to the Father. And he uses the Holy Spirit inside of us to seal us and guarantee us a place at the family table in heaven. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. He has given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. A guarantee. There's no backing out of this deal by God. He has given you his word. He has given you a seal, a promise. He's not going to let you take, you know, if I, if I lay down money on a house or something that I'm purchasing and I walk away, they get to keep the money. God's not going to walk away and let you keep the Holy Spirit. Okay, he, He's bringing that back with him. Those are united to God. It is God. The Trinity. And so as he's put himself inside of you as a believer, that is a sure guarantee that you are a part of his family. Ephesians 5, we've already talked about it, but it describes the groom, uh, Christ and his bride, the church. And so the spiritual marriage is the way that we experience access to God's household. Uh, the final thing I'll say about the first point, and then we'll move to the second point, is that Christ prioritized the spiritual family over the physical family in several ways. Uh, one of the things we see is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21 through 22. Jesus is talking about persecution, and he said, Brother will deliver brother to death, and the father his child, 
and child will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Okay, so Matthew records Jesus talking about how being a member of God's family will create enmity within the physical family sometimes. That's not the hope. The hope is that everybody in the family comes to know Jesus. And so that makes your physical family also your spiritual family. So now they're like a double family, which makes you twice as connected. That's the best. That's the ideal. But there are times where other people inside of your home do not embrace the same faith that you embrace. And because of that, it causes division in the family. Um, Matthew chapter 10, I didn't even put this in here, but if you were to go on down in the scripture to verse, uh, I believe it's 30, uh, 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. There are times where your own household in certain situations may seek to devour you, may seek to kill you, may seek to harm you. And oftentimes, uh, in the context here, this is based on you having a greater loyalty, a greater faithfulness, a greater dedication to the superior household, the superior being the family of God. There are in some parts of the country, or in the world really, maybe in the country, but in some parts of the world where if you confess Christ, you will be disowned. That's put out there straight and plain. It's not sugar-coated. It's not hidden. It doesn't come as a surprise. When you accept Christ and you publicly profess him, you are removing yourself from the physical family. And we all have to make a choice, which is superior. Uh, Jesus also said in Matthew, once again, verse 12, 46 through 50, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who, uh, the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? It's a weird question, right? He knows who his mother is. He knows who his brothers is. He knows everything. But he's making a point. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, his pointing fingers, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother what jesus is stating clearly is that yes he has a physical family yes they are important to him but there is a superior family an eternal family an enduring family a family that is set at a greater purpose and that purpose is reaching the, the whole world with the gospel and bringing honor and glory to God. And by the way, you know, Mary, at least, was a part of that family, too. She was a part of the spiritual family. At this point, his brothers seem to still be mocking and rejecting him, and some of them come around later on. But your physical family can also be in your spiritual family. That can happen. That should happen. That's what we want. That's what we pray for. But when they are not, when they are Remaining in separate spheres, it is the spiritual family that is supreme and superior to the physical family. Which brings us full circle to the next point. is What is the objective of the physical family? Well, it's the spiritual family is the objective of the spiritual family. Um, the physical family was created for a purpose. And that purpose is to spread the glory of God to the entire globe, 
When God creates Adam and Eve in the beginning, in Genesis, he creates Adam in Genesis 1, and Adam and Eve, they're both given uh, the mandate, the, the creation mandate is what it's called, to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. And what they were doing, they were made in the image of God, they were image bearers of God. When people saw one another, it expressed the glory of God because they stood before you as an image bearer. And they were commanded to fill the entire earth so that the earth in Genesis, if there had not been a fall, would have looked like the earth in Revelation where the entire globe is saturated with Christ-honoring, God-glorifying people from every tribe, nation, and time. It would, have, it would have looked glorious. But sin came into the picture and disrupted that. Now, the goal hasn't changed we see throughout the scripture that God is still trying to use mankind to extend his glory to the ends of the earth. He started with Abraham and he said, you know, through you all nations will be blessed. He's going to extend his influence and his glory to the ends of the earth through the people of Israel. That comes about through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who has all authority, he says in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. He has all authority, and he is sending his disciples who are bearing his name, bringing the glory of God to every tribe, to every nation, to every tongue, as they extend the presence of Christ throughout the globe. The same task, the same objective that was found in Genesis 1 and 2, is found now in the Great Commission. But now it looks a little bit different because in Genesis, there was no sin. In Genesis, all they had to do to accomplish this task is just to have babies. And apparently it was pain-free. Wouldn't that have been great? Just have lots of babies and the task is done. We honor God. All you got to do is keep your children from climbing that tree over there. And then you're good. But now sin has crept into the world. And now... Just having babies isn't going to get the task done. It's still important because you can raise them. You have an opportunity of evangelism. But now we have to reach into other people's families. We have to try to change other family trees by bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really our goal as a family. The family is meant to carry the Great Commission out in our home and in our churches. And our church is really a family of families that come together to pursue the Great Commission together so that we can reach people and glorify God in every single place on the earth. The purpose of the physical family is to illuminate and expand the spiritual family. That's what I just was describing. The second purpose of the physical family is embodied in our relational roles that symbolize the spiritual family. I've already talked about how we're complementarians, uh, traditionally speaking. I may not represent everybody in the room, but I believe I represent clearly the pastoral staff here and the Baptist tradition. We believe that each person in the family has a particular role, and those roles actually bring glory to God. God didn't give roles to suppress or oppress anybody. He gave those roles in order to magnify God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus exists in a role that is in submission to the Father. And so in creating roles where we have a head of household and we have a wife who is a helper and who submits to the husband, we are getting a reflection of the Trinitarian relationships. And by doing so, it, it reveals to us 
the Father and the Son, and it communicates to the rest of the world their relationship to one another. Uh, we see in Ephesians 5 that we read that the husband-wife relationship is reflective of the relationship between Christ and the church. And Christ and the church was planned before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world in the mind of God. And as a result, we can look at the family and ask, why was it designed? Why was it created the way that it was created? Why were they able to produce children? And all of this, well, the reason being is because it reflects the plan of God that preexisted the creation of the family. It was already in the mind of God that he would unite people together and he would have his son as the groom and the church as the bride, that he would lay down his life and die for them. And so in the family unit, the, the father is supposed to be the head of household. He's supposed to be willing to lay down his life. He's supposed to be willing to give his all to protect his children physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He's supposed to give it all for them, just as Christ gave it all for us. And when we live in that ideal state, I know very few of us can live up to that perfectly all the time. But when we do, we reflect the goodness of God. We reflect the created order and we reflect um, how that church and their Savior, Jesus Christ, are supposed to relate to one another. The next thing I'll say is that the physical family should enhance the spiritual family. We don't have time to look into this. It was going to be my prime text, and now we're not even going to read it, but 1 Peter 3 is a situation where it's the non-ideal situation, where you have half the family saved and half the family aren't saved. In this particular instance, it's the female, the wife, who's saved, and the husband is not saved. And Peter writes and says, don't abandon him. Just because he's not a believer, don't abandon him. Because by having a faithful presence in the household, who knows? The husband may come to know the Lord through your faithful witness, your faithful conduct, not hammering over his head day and night uh, the gospel, but by just having a genuine character of faith. And many people can testify to that. Now, we don't advocate for being unequally yoked for you to go out and pursue a lost person to marry. Um, that's often a recipe for disaster. But we do advocate that if you're married to someone already who is a non-believer that you you leverage your position with Christ to win your husband or your wife so that your physical family can also be your spiritual family this morning that's what we want that's what we pray for you and if we can pray for you in that drop a letter in our box back there we pray every Monday morning we want to pray for your family we want to see your whole family come to know the Lord Jesus Christ sometimes it's not the wife sometimes it's the husband Who's, who's the believer and the wife isn't. Don't abandon her. Keep being faithful because who knows, through time, the Holy Spirit may work through you and sanctify the home. Sometimes it's just the children. Sometimes the children get dropped off at VBS because it's free childcare, and they come to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and they go back into the home and they say, Mommy, 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 I want to go to church. I want to go to that church. And so they bring their kids to church or they bring their parents to church. I guess the parents are bringing their kids, but uh, really it's the kids bringing the parents. And we've had that happen in this church. Lost parents came with saved kids, and the parents got saved. It can happen. You don't know how it's going to happen, so all you can do is be faithful in the role that you currently have. And don't bust out of your roles. Children, don't start trying to be the parent in the home. 
Wives, don't start trying to be head of household because you're the believer and you're more mature in your faith. And husbands, don't abuse your power. Don't abuse uh, the fact that you've been put as head in order to bring people in. You, you stay within your lane. You do as Christ has prescribed through the gospel here, through Paul's letters, through Peter's letters, and through your faith and your testimony and your good works, perhaps maybe your physical home will be your spiritual home. The final thing we'll look at as we close, the physical family is mutually benefited by the spiritual family. It, up till now, what I've talked about is you, the physical family is pouring into the church. It's all like kind of been one direction. But the church also benefits the physical family. Coming here to church benefits your physical family. As you grow together in the body of Christ, it benefits the physical family. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases... The brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is along the same vein of thought as First Peter 3 that I just talked about. But there is an instance where the church is praying for the family, where you're being fed in the church and you're equipped to go back into your home where there are lost people. And it may just result in the salvation of that household. And when that happens... Your physical family and your spiritual family align. But until that happens, treat your physical family as a mission field. This is your best opportunity to share Christ. This is the opportunity where eyes get to be on you day and night, where you can actually reveal the authenticity of the Christian faith. It's, you know, if you meet someone once a week, you could be putting on a show. You're not putting on a show in the home. They see the good, the bad, and the ugly. They see it all. And now you can show what Christianity is all about. And we want to partner with you. If your home is not a fully Christian household, we want to pray with you and equip you any way that we can. And if your family is fully devoted to Christ, your nuclear family has all given their life to Christ, they're following Christ, get it to work. There is a mission field, and your family can leverage that position. And you can show the world the power of Christ and how he brings families together and how he brings about change in the home. This is your opportunity to shine for the Lord. Let's pray together as our musicians come. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our time in your word. And Lord, we thank you for, for family. We thank you for the opportunity to bring our families together in the family of Christ and the family of faith. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to to just let the church be a witness to our homes, Lord, to influence our households. So we don't live in isolation. We don't live uh, apart from the influence of the church. You never intended for it to be that way, Lord, but you intended for the church to have a, a far reach into our homes and to, to correct us and rebuke us and to be a, an example to us, to sharpen us and to let one family sharpen another family, to let one family pour into another family. And Lord, we pray that this morning we would be challenged and that we would be moved to make decisions for, that will affect our family tree and our generations 
uh, to come. And we, Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You stand with us as we have a moment of invitation.